Welcome to the Brainworms podcast, the wonderful batch of piss clowns <laughs> who are here to entertain you. I'm Joe. I'm David. I'm Kane. And I'm Chris. And today, the piss clown. <laughs> Chris the piss clown <laughs> is the. God fucking damn it. <laughs> is the first week of the spooky month. And uh, and we're doing a special Halloween spooky event. We're going to read a scary book about a snake that also has a movie based on it. And if oh, you would yes. like a deep dive into that film, our companion podcast, Butcher Block, will also be discussing it and available in all of the places that we are available. But they're not as cool as us, so stay they, here. I mean, they are us. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. they want you to think. <laughs> what did Joe... Did you make a second clone? I I made so many clones. That's going really well. If this podcasting doesn't work out, then I think we have a niche market. Are we just uh, going to sell organs? I mean, that's not what I said out loud. <laughs> yeah, but who's going to buy organs from the Eraserhead baby? I, I would buy organs from the Eraserhead baby. I, yeah. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about Death Bite by uh, Michael Merrick and Brent Monahan, who have literally faded into obscurity. Uh, they had this one book that they wrote because, like, Jaws got real successful. Let's write a book and then immediately option it as a movie, and then kind of disappeared. Uh, apparently, Brent Monahan has a doctorate in musical arts, and he went on to do like musicals and shit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the other guy has an about the author bio in the book that doesn't really say much about him other than that he's real into Swedish Finnish culture, huh. but nothing that he's done or accomplished. So fuck knows what happened I to that I wonder guy. if that means he's like a fascist or like a racist. I could see that. Yeah. Like I'm really into, you know, yeah. European culture. Mm hmm. Not, mm. not. Yeah, there are two ways that could go, really. Like, that's me. <laughs> but does that mean that this is going to be a book about a Norwegian snake? Because that would make me super happy. No, I, that, I think, that, awesome. I think that's I what he think got into is. afterwards. Yeah, this is. Yeah, because this, this bio is semi current. This is for, like, the ebook. That would uh, also just make that Jormungandr. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, which would all, which would be a better book probably. <laughs> so yeah, Death Bite, uh, apparently there's a big snake involved. Mm, we got everything's big. We get big men. Yeah, big snake, big men. If you enjoy what <laughs> we do. I don't know why. Did do we enjoy did, did do any of you enjoy this? What's enjoyment? That's fair. It's all I know. Um, is that a choice? <laughs> it's all I know. It's, it's literally true, actually. You you were designed and created in a lab specifically for this. It's true. Also, I do appreciate uh, Death Bite is similar to, like, Sharp Cut. What? Mm -hmm. Like, death, like <sighs> death Bite, Sharp Cut. No, it's you can get bitten and not die. What are you talking about? What? I mean, how many times have you been bitten by a death snake? That's, let's move on. Yeah, let's as we travel along. <laughs> Before I was rudely interrupted. 
If you like what we do, if you go to our website, we give you brainworms.com. You can learn about all of our social media, all of our other projects, and you can also find a link to our Patreon where Yay! you can support us and give us some money, and we will use it to keep doing this, I guess. And porn. Wait, what? Oh, that reminds me. Yeah, Kane. Kane's <laughs> education is primarily porn. Porn and uh, 80s and 90s cartoon shows, yeah. Yep, yep that's... Wait, are you uh, saying that the Dark Water saga is not real? That's not, that's not a oh history no, that, those, show? Oh, no, the historical events. It's fine. Don't okay, worry about okay. it. Uh, if Man. we meet our goal for this month, David will release his feet pictures to the internet. It's true. Mm -hmm. Try to get him on WikiFeet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope that's a real website. Oh, it is. WikiFeet is 100% <laughs> a real website. I'm oh. only a little curious as yeah. to why you know that just from being on the internet i'm not a yeah it's, it's it's not no like knowledge of it is 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 one of those internet jokes if uh, i if i did have a foot fetish i'd probably just talk about it i don't think i'd have any like shame about it sure yeah i mean it's not really something to be ashamed no. of I, I can't say that i'm really don't have any strong opinions regarding feet one way or the other no, and you know, like I was telling Kane earlier, like as long as I'm not personally inconvenienced, I don't care what people do. Yeah, yeah, I I can relate to that. Yeah. The only care that I have for feet is as long as like when I look at them, I don't go like, "Oh my god, what's what's wrong with those?" Then yeah, feet can be whatever. Yeah. What in the world is that thing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why do you have weird gnarled stumps that you crawl around on? <laughs> Listen, motherfucker, I didn't have a choice. That was a little personal. Yeah, that was that was that was All a right. low blow. Do you know how long it's taken me to craft Look, these phalanges? Let alone the the stubby nubs that I use to locomote. Look, yeah. any any blow to David Clone is a low blow. He's not very large. It's true. All right, let's uh let's read a snake book. Fucking read your snake book. Fuck! <laughs> I dare you to make less sense. <laughs> don't, don't say that around me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a good challenge. That's that'll just end badly. You know, I tried to set up a cool transition where I said, "Let's read a snake book," and then the transition music would kick in, and then we would be reading a snake book, and all of you ruined that for me. Look here. Here's all the transition you need. My clapping ass cheeks are a snake book, and I hope your bookmarker gets stuck in there. Chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. There we go. Chapter one. Let's do it. Chapter 1 Kenji Tasaki ordered a halt, then leaned his weight against a tree, physically and emotionally drained. He was too old to be hunting snakes. Next week he would How be- How old is old enough to be hunting snakes? Well, at least like 13, I would guess. Like, uh, you, I'm you sure really... there are cultures that when you're 8 years old, you're sent out to hunt snakes for fucking food. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That may be true. Yeah. Are snakes a good source of food? Yeah. yeah. Sure. 
Yeah, apparently if you're in like the the Arizona desert, then you should totally hunt and eat snakes. They're a good food source. Yeah, I mean, anywhere that snakes are, which is everywhere except Antarctica and mm-hmm. Ireland. <laughs> nice. Took me a second. I like it. Next week, he would be 59, if he lived that long. Just two months ago, no one could have persuaded him to take even a single step off his veranda to catch the most harmless reptile. Yet here he stood, waist-high in kangaroo grass, compelled to hunt a snake no one had ever captured. In fact, the snake was reported to be so large and fearsome that most hunters, including Tasaki, believed it to be nothing more than legend. Yeah, he was definitely too old to be hunting the snake. Mm-hmm. I like to imagine that he was just some old man. And mm-hmm. somebody came along and went, hey man, you want to hunt a snake? I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> it's like, okay, that sounds fun. And uh, there he is. I mean, he's 59, so he's, he's probably still got some movement in him. But Yeah, but uh, not enough to go hunting deadly snakes. Well, especially if, you know, just two months ago, he had never captured or hunted any snakes that that's a bad time to get started in that just helpful hint wait, from wait i think he was he he had stopped hunting snakes and so for two months he hasn't hunted a snake i think that's what i was gathering from this but but read on then we'll, we'll find out yeah we'll find out here squinting from the sun's merciless glare tasaki watched his five aboriginal hunters unshoulder their burdens and retreat to the shade of the acacia scrub There they squatted on their haunches and traded words in short, disjointed phrases. The conversation never interfered with the abo's real attention, the savanna that surrounded them. A cool, dry breeze was fanning the grasses into a sea of restless, rustling motions. So really he's gotten other people to hunt a snake for him while he leans against a tree. Well, yeah, I was going to say something about him being a white guy, but his name is Kenji Tasaki, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, not uh, a white guy. Yeah, maybe not. Probably not. The conversation never interfered with the abo's real attention, the savanna that surrounded them. A cool, dry breeze was fanning the grasses into a sea of restless, rustling motions. I don't feel great about calling them the abos, though. I don't know about that. I'm not sure if that's like something that actually takes place in Australia. Sure. Um, whether that makes it better or not. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Australia doesn't yeah, I, have, I like, the best... The best, yeah, history <laughs> with their indigenous people. That's it, yeah, they're one of the worst up there with literally everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Right. Also, for, for all of our younger uh, listeners out there, if you happen to just stumble onto Australia, just leave. Everything you... in Australia wants to kill Wait, you. why does their age matter? Because that means they're less likely to know that Australia is a death trap. How do you find yourself in Australia? It's a fucking continent surrounded by water. It happens. Yeah, if you're like a criminal in 17th century Britain. Yeah. In South Australia, I was... I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Waltzing Matilda. All right. Australia. Don't go outside. (laughs) You call that a knife? (laughs) No, that's a that's a spoon. <laughs> You're not doing it right. I, <laughs> I thought it was a tongue. Play. I thought it was a tongue depressor. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> 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 
The Abos searched the savannah with wary, practiced eyes for any movements not caused by the breeze. It rested within the shade of a boulder, testing the air with rapid flickers of its tongue. The glistening, forked tip snatched errant molecules into its Jacobson's organ, two cavities in the roof of the mouth. The elementary brain analyzed the taste smell. It turned its head into the wind, its scales sliding silently across the surface of the stone. It sensed a combination of unknown odors. I have to give this book credit, because unlike many of the books that we read on this show, this one seems to have done some research. Yeah, I was actually just thinking that. So far, yeah. I am uh, impressed. Paragraph three. Doing all right. Yeah. It turned its head into the wind, its scales sliding silently across the surface of the stone. It sensed a combination of unknown odors. A strange animal was near. Prey. Tasaki turned his weather-beaten face into the wind. He looked back at the trail they had cut into the savannah, back to the forest which retreated down the steep slopes all the way to the island shoreline. Through a breach in the forest canopy, he saw the gray ocean and, far off, hugging the horizon like a blue-green fog, the jagged contours of Papua. Tasaki wiped his arm across his glistening forehead. Sweat had plastered his shirt and pants to his skin. It was maddeningly cold and clammy, and as fast Settle as the wind... Inv- <laughs> <laughs> it was maddeningly cold and clammy, and as fast as the wind evaporated it, his body pumped out more. Inside his boots, the moisture had dragged his knee socks down to his ankles. Tasaki knew it was useless effort to hike them up. They would only slide down again. Tasaki had given up his fabricated nerve the day he retired from catching snakes. Now, after four years of soft city retirement, he could not easily resummon it. He had grown too old and too fond of life to resurrect the role of fearless hunter. It hadn't been so bad this morning as he stood on the open beach, but all day long as he pulled himself up the shadowy slopes over the exposed roots and through the tangle of lianas and vines, fear had been climbing too, twisting its way up his spine, boring into his skull. What is with these books, with like setting up a cool action-y thing happening, and then going, okay, I'm bored of that now, and just going off on some tangent? Well, I think it's called writing an opening. I mean, like, I get it, but it, it just... Yeah, took, don't you let the maybe, book breathe a second, Joe? Gosh. Yeah, maybe it's just me, but, like, it seems like like we set up this cool, like, oh, we're going to catch this snake. Maybe isn't the time to, to go into this guy's, you know, thoughts about stuff. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they me. want us to give a shit about him. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's intertwined well. Like, sure. uh... This is such a rare thing, but I'm kind of sucked in. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I got pulled out, but maybe, again, maybe that's just my experience. Yeah. You you yeah. also read, like, a lot, though. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything on its own. No, no, I, I, I don't mean that, like, as an in, invalidating sort of thing. Just that you've had way more experience with literature than at least I have. Right on. Anyway, please continue. Twisting its way up his spine, boring into his skull. But if he could not reclaim his nerve, he would at least master his fear, he told himself with great resolution. After all, he had captured and killed snakes for almost a third of a century. And a snake is a snake, no matter what the dark legends say. Except for the fact that it was totally uninhabited, 
Naraka Pintu seemed little different from a hundred other Indonesian islands Tasaki had hunted on. Of course, it was part of the legend that no one could live here. The name, Naraka Pintu, meant Door of Hell, and Satan's gateway was guarded by his demons in the form of gigantic, poisonous serpents. The snakes saw to it that all souls on the island belonged to dead men, whether or not they had arrived in that condition. Tasaki was unruffled by native superstitions. In New Guinea, legends flourished like bamboo shoots. What unnerved him was that visiting natives who claimed to have seen one of the demons often accurately described the savage Australian taipan down to the smallest detail. The Australian taipan, averaging less than nine feet, had killed grown men in less than five minutes. When the natives described the Naraka Pintu taipan, however, they never set its length at less than fifteen feet. Such a creature, legendary or not, commanded fear and respect. The strange animal odors remained constant, growing neither weaker nor stronger. It slithered out of the shade, its muscles rippling in waves of lateral contractions. If the quarry would not move to it, it would move to the quarry. I like that it's switching back and forth. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm kind of cheering for the snake. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always cheering for the snake. Also, it's a big snake, so, you know. Mm -hmm. It is big. It is. In fact, if it's over 15 feet, I'm calling shenanigans here, actually, because that's bigger than King Cobra's, and they're the largest venomous snakes. Well, it kind of seemed uh, like maybe that size was an exaggeration. Right. And, that could and it be. didn't actually get much bigger than nine feet. Yeah, we'll so, see. I mean, yeah. it's possible that this is a book about an outlier. Like, I mean, it probably oh, is. Yeah. Like, like Jaws. Yeah, most you know? of these giant animal book or stories are like, no, no, this one's especially bad. Right, right. So that might. I be bet it's going to be gin ginormous, thirty feet. <laughs> I hope so. A hundred feet. <laughs> see, you're all wrong. The island is just going to be the snake. Oh, that would be great. That yeah. would be awesome. It just turns out that uh, Naraka Pintu is just a very large snake. <laughs> and a sea snake. So that's yeah. even worse. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. That would be rad. They have to fight it from a boat. <laughs> they have to drive the boat into it to send it back to sleep like Cthulhu. See, I would read that book. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I am. <laughs> Fate can be brutal, Tasaki reflected. It can compel a man to actions completely counter to his instincts and logic. For 31 years, he had hunted snakes, selling their skin, bones, venom, and blood. 31 years of sloshing through leech-infested swamps and jungle monsoons. Some days it would have been easier to die than continue, but for the dreams of security, of solid walls and floors, and of a mattress with springs. It's kind of how I feel about recording this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we put the leech-infested swamps here in on the moon, but, you know. <sighs> to give Kane something to play in. Right. <laughs> the leeches make my skin tingle. <laughs> and woozy. They make me woozy. Yeah, yeah, buddy, you gotta, like, Cut down on those, just like two at a time, max. They'll tell me how to live my life, David. 
I mean, I should know. <laughs> oh, God. Now I'm just picturing, like, a Rocky movie where they clone Sylvester Stallone and, like, he's... It goes horribly wrong? No, no. Like, like they... But first of all, on the clone, they finally fix his droopy lip. And then, like, older Rocky is, tr- is like, trying to tell younger Rocky his limits. And younger Rocky's like, You know me, Adrian! And, and then he goes and punches someone. That was well, very exciting. Yeah. Glad <laughs> glad we took that walk. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. What's, what's going on with Tasaki? Yeah, I'm way more interested in the snake situation. Finally. Four years ago, he had saved up enough to be done with snakes forever. A year after he had quit, the crazy American tracked Tasaki to his favorite haunt, a Jakardin gin mill. There, between swigs of Japanese beer, Tasaki heard yet again the legend of the Naraka Pintu serpent. But the American insisted that it was no legend. Although he declined to say how he knew, he was certain the creature existed and that it was a giant taipan. He offered Tasaki $10,000 to capture one alive. Why not offer instead a half-loaded revolver, bid him press it to his temple and squeeze the trigger for the money? That kind of offer, generous as it was, was meant for the totally insane or the totally desperate, and Tasaki was neither. He remembered his great satisfaction on rejecting the offer. Ignoring the refusal, the American pressed a card into Tasaki's hand, assuring him that the offer remained open. On the card were three international addresses and five telephone numbers. Tasaki tucked the card in his wallet and, for three years, forgot about it. Suddenly, two months ago, the savings of a lifetime vanished. Not only Tasaki's, but also most of Uncle Sewa's savings as well. Tasaki's eldest son, Takeo, lost it in reckless speculations. Dishonor! Last month, with no money to block its view, Tasaki spotted the American's card in the back of his wallet. He called Glad the, the first American number. didn't find another snake hunter. Did, right? In the intervening three years. <laughs> Obviously, he wanted the best. And, you know, people don't lose their edge on snake hunting over four years of comfort. So, hmm. But I digress. Yeah. Last month, with no money to block its view, Tasaki spotted the American's card in the back of his wallet. He called the first number, demanding 12000 for the job. The next day, 13000 sat in the National Bank of Indonesia, the extra thousand a bonus if the Taipan measured longer than 16 feet. So, what, he has to pay it back if it doesn't? <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> Good luck getting that back. Right? <laughs> Yeah, if it's in his bank account, what if he just, like, yoinked and yeah, ran? Like, like, at least put it in escrow or something. I don't I'm, know. I'm sorry, this snake is only 15 feet 9 <laughs> inches. <laughs> and that's when you unleash it upon him and keep your extra thousand. It's yep. true. The wind had died down, leaving Tasaki's face covered with a network of beaded rivulets. A faint hissing brought his blood pounding to his head. It took Tasaki a moment to realize that the noise came from a distant waterfall tumbling down the forest slopes. The odors stopped, leaving it confused. It reared back along its sinuous length, lifting its head until it cleared the three-foot-high grasses. The lidless, amber eyes scanned the savanna. The prey was not in sight, 
it dropped its head to the ground and slithered forward. Did you guys ever read the book Raptor Red? No. No. Ah, it's uh, kind of reminding me of this. It's a book from the point of view of a velociraptor. It's kind of cool. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah it does huh? sound cool. Tasaki turned back toward the aborigines. Two had relaxed their vigilance and were teasing a centipede that had rolled itself into a tight defensive ball. The leader of the natives, a well-muscled man named Ulu, Do you think divided... he's a large, well-muscled man? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Mm. And honestly, not likely. I mean... Oh, yeah. yeah wait, wait. Am, am I correct in thinking that the, like Australian aboriginals are shorter? Is that Australia or is that a, am I thinking of somewhere else? Well, typically, I mean, aboriginal Australians are a little bit shorter. They're not like you know, pygmies. Right. But they are they are smaller people in general. But this is not actually Australia. This is uh like New Guinea, it looks oh, like. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm I'm terrible with geography, pardon me. Yeah, they're you know, the same sort of general area, but But I if we if we start talking about uh a furtive pygmy, then I'll be able to tell you everything about it. We're not this isn't we're not doing that. Nope. <laughs> The leader of the natives, a well-muscled man named Ulu, divided his attention between the savanna and the pump action of its much-prized shotgun. Tasaki knew the men of their tribe to be fearless snake hunters. He had no idea, however, how the abos would react if they actually found a taipan of giant proportions. He could not even guess his own reactions. Sensing Tasaki's stare, Ulu looked up at the Japanese boss man. Tasaki shifted his eyes to the savanna aware that Ulu could instinctively pick up the slightest gleam of fear. With a snap of his fingers and a wave of his arm, Tasaki brought the hunters to their feet. Nets, poles, and capture bags were collected, and the party moved forward cautiously through the grasses. This is almost well written by the standards of this show. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I was just thinking about, it's, it's fairly well written, but there's... Just a little bit of cringy, like, yeah, uh, yeah, native, yeah, 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 yeah. That. I don't feel great about that, but it is a dime store novel written in 1980, so right. So it's you know in the realm of pulp, basically, yeah. and doesn't make it better, but at least it explains it, right? Absolutely. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm I'm finding myself very drawn in with how the book is building up a threat of the snake. Like, yeah. you, you can feel the tension. Like, I want to know how big it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sensing Tasaki's stare, Ulu looked up at the Japanese boss man. Tasaki shifted his eyes to the savannah, aware that Ulu could instinctively pick up the slightest gleam of fear. With a snap of his fingers and a wave of his arm, Tasaki brought the hunters to their feet. Nets, poles, and capture bags were collected, and the party moved forward cautiously through the grasses. At last, the ground began to vibrate, sending messages up through its ventral scales and thence to its nervous system. The signals were complex and confusing. It paused to reassess. Ulu had not survived twenty years of snake hunting by being careless. As he took the point position and waited for the others to fall in line single file, he checked the safety of his shotgun. It was off. He made certain one more time that the choke of the barrel was wide open to give his shot the widest possible spread. Ulu glanced up at the sun. He judged the hour to be four in the afternoon. With such brilliant heat streaming down on the savannah, 
Chances of running into a snake in the unshaded grasses were slight. Nevertheless, he grabbed his six-foot pronging stick by its end and, as he started forward, slowly parted the high grasses with a gentle pendulum motion. The Aborigine's objective was a rock prominence well... The Aborigine's objective was a rock prominence well into the savanna where the moist, shady crevasses would help a snake maintain a constant body temperature. If no snake were found among the rocks, the high ground would at least provide a lookout across the plain. A massive black shape towered above it. Flank quickly. Attack! Ulu's cry of warning wrenched Tasaki's attention from the ground. The Abo leader had shifted into a blur of movement, both powerful arms pressing his long, fork-ended pole into the earth, his weight fully behind the action. Between the prongs, Tasaki caught a glimpse of a rounded, shiny blackness squirming through the fork. Then, for just an instant, one of the abos stepped into Saki's line of sight as the abo reached up to loosen his half of the capture net. I really wish we could stop calling them that. Yeah. It it sounds worse and worse every time. I'm not sure what else, I mean, men would yeah. work. That That's a valid one. But Hunters. Yeah. The next moment, Ulu was in full view again, still bearing down upon the pole. But now, to the abo leader's right, looming up out of the tall grasses was the head and neck of the most fearsome snake Tasaki had ever witnessed. It was a giant taipan. Five voices shouted out to Ulu in unison. He had not seen it, intent on pinning the snake's body to the ground. Tasaki's mind reeled. Could this be a second snake? A mate? If not, Ulu must have pronged the back end of a monster at least 16 feet long, I'll easily capable... <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're at least 16 feet long. Oh yeah. God! <laughs> God, it just like yeah, you would die. Couldn't, you couldn't yeah. clear doorways. You couldn't okay. walk. I mean, an erection, you would just die. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to get on an airplane with that thing? You couldn't. There's yeah. no way. Ay ay ay. If not, Ulu must have pronged the back end of a monster at least 16 feet long easily capable of winding to strike at the victim's flank. The snake's head continued to rise until it came even with Ulu's eyes. At last, the Abo saw it, but before he or any of the group could master their shock, the massive reptilian head shot forward across a meter of space, jaws agape, and buried its fangs in Ulu's face. It snatched and ripped viciously at the man's nose, cheek, and eye socket. Oh, God. That's a big snake. Yeah. Also, I mean... Not really how vipers do, but yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give it a benefit of a doubt. You know, it's it's a it's a monster at this point. Right, like, right, yeah. The horrifying sight paralyzed the hunters. Even more gruesome, the snake did not strike once in retreat. The head reared back on its slim neck for a fraction of a second, then struck again. Blood spurted along Ulu's cheek, mingling with a white viscous venom dripping down the rips in the flesh. The shotgun sling slipped from Ulu's shoulder, and his weapon clattered to the ground. Ulu dropped the pole and reached out blindly for the snake, his muscles tensed in a single-minded determination to strangle the monster whose venom was about to kill him. The snake lashed out a third time, tearing into the native's right wrist. Hey, native! There you go! Yeah, yeah. The snake lashed out a third time tearing into the native's right wrist with its fangs, then whipping its neck left and right, back and forth in a frenzy. Like a crocodile? Like I a whip crocodile. my neck back and forth. <laughs> I was going to point out, last I recall, and I'm no snake expert, 
as I recall, I thought that snakes like struck and then like darted away and vanished. So yeah, I think but, the book but, actually acknowledged that. Yeah, being, yeah. I was yeah. I was gonna point that out. I'm glad the book acknowledged that and that it's building on that. And and basically, what you said is right, Joe. It's it's not a snake; it's a monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, they don't typically rip viciously at anything. They just bite and then retreat and let the yep. venom do its work. The snake lashed out a third time, tearing into the native's right wrist with its fangs, then whipping its neck left and right, back and forth in a frenzy. It yanked back, drawing Ulu off balance and down to his knees. His wrist ripped out of the snake's jaws. The Taipan stared at the immobile party of hunters with amber, evil eyes, dropped quickly to the ground, and disappeared into the grasses. Not ten seconds had gone by since Ulu had shouted his warning. With the snake out of sight, Abos regained their senses and hurriedly set about the motions of capture. Back to that. They backed away from the stricken man and pulled the net open, careful to keep their bodies well behind it. Tasaki studied the terrain. To their left and slightly behind them lay a patch of barren rock, about thirty feet in diameter. Tasaki directed the Abos toward it, but he held his ground. The grasses near the fallen hunter quivered, alive with malevolent hisses. Tasaki stood about twenty feet from the wounded Abo. Ulu had dropped to his hands and knees, feeling for the shotgun. The blood ran thickly from his right eye socket. Already, the native was showing symptoms of neurotoxic poisoning, much swifter than Tasaki would have thought possible. All muscle tone had vanished from Ulu's face. His lips and jaw hung flaccid. His breathing had become rapid and shallow. It would have been merciful for Tasaki to raise his revolver and end the man's agony abruptly, but he could not bring himself to do it. Ulu pulled himself up along the length of the shotgun, raised the weapon slowly, as if in a trance, and took two faltering steps into the grasses. Thick, white excretions began to bubble from his nose and mouth. He took two more halting steps, raised the shotgun butt to his shoulder with a superhuman effort, and fired. The kick of the blast sent him crashing backward into the grasses, where he disappeared from Tasaki's view. A covey of startled birds fluttered into the sky. The low, angry hissing continued. So, no one brought anti-venom. It was a mythological snake. Where were they going to get it? (laughs) Right. I'm thinking that might be why they're trying to capture it. Mm. Also, it, like, shredded the dude's face. But it's again, it's only been like than... ten seconds, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was this was the first round of combat, so yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the dude does on his second round. Yeah, he's definitely gonna fail his death saves. Oh, <laughs> <shit>. Yeah, <laughs> he's does rolling he this with disadvantage. Yeah, asking us to roll disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tasaki watched the tops of the grass stalks intently. He drew his revolver from its holster and cocked it. He now stood halfway between the fallen native leader and the four remaining abos, who had fanned out to the four corners of the open area and were stamping the earth contiguous to the rock with their feet. Their eyes, alive with fear and excitement, searched the grass with unwavering attention. Ulu's half-brother, Bumi, was the first to spot it. The vegetation trembled in rapid, erratic waves, heading directly for the natives. Bumi cried out and pointed with the tip of his machete. The two abos with the net pulled away from one another. The top of the net lifted off the rock surface, stretching upward to neck level. Their action trapped Bumi between the snake and the net, and he quickly backed away from the churning grasses. 
The men with the net inched forward. The last man readied his snaring pole. The knots of hemp drew taut. Boomy stopped under the net, twisting his body to the side, his machete dragging the rock. It's actually really well done for building atmosphere and tension. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, that was an excellent passage. And, like, knowing that this guy is using himself as bait to get the snake into the net? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The snake sprang out of the grass as if catapulted, biting into the native's trailing foot. Boomy kicked back in pain and astonishment. His fingers caught in the net and prevented the others from throwing it. The taipan released its hold and reared up, hissing at each native in turn while they darted in and back, taunting it with the free ends of the net. The fourth native pushed his snaring pole over the net directly at the open jaws. With mad fury, the jaws snapped shut around the pole. Tasaki watched Bumi free himself from the net and claw his way back along the rock's surface. His bites were not so terrible to look on as Ulu's, but already the Abo's head lolled and his eyes were unfocused. The Taipan released the pole and hissed madly at the encircling cords. Tasaki could not believe what he was witnessing. He had been wrong. This snake was more than a snake. It was the devil incarnate. Ordinary snakes hid from the heat of the afternoon. Ordinary snakes fled at man's approach. Ordinary snakes struck if cornered. Then only once. This demon stood its ground fearlessly, even pressed the attack. It would not apparently be satisfied until every man lay dead. The abos fainted backward to lure it from the grasses. At last, the full length of the taipan was exposed. The snake was at least 19 feet long. Damn. Does it feel a little soon to anyone else to break out the... It's more than a snake card. No. Not necessarily. I mean, that's the kind of book that we're building to here. It's going to be just him and this one, like particular very different sort of snake you know that sets it up nicely for like man versus snake being the rest of the book right and knowing that it's this monstrous very different kind of thing and just like we had a bunch of questions like you know oh why did this snake not just strike once and i like that they went into that and how yeah, it was you definitely. know things ordinary snakes would do and this is no ordinary snake what's probably going to happen though is that we're going to get this awesome first chapter and then we're going to get like 12 chapters of background building back up to how he got here sure that's that's probably what's going to happen to or, suck i'm sorry or he's going to catch the snake and take it somewhere that's what and I this think is just going to become a Stephen King novel, but worse. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to take the snake. Or he's going to capture the snake and sell it and then retire. And then that'll be, and, yeah, and the rest of the book a... is just going to be him like drinking margaritas and fishing. Because <laughs> when you retire, you have to fish. Drinking snake bites. Or golf. Nah, a hunter doesn't golf when he retires. A hunter, he fishes. It's like hunting, but less hunting. Yeah. Okay. More waiting. Fair enough. Fishing is just drinking with a pole in one hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. To suck. Well, I can do that at home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, David. Go ahead. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I waited like a beat too long to make that joke. I like how you felt personally ashamed after you said the joke, though. <laughs> Tasaki holstered his revolver, 
picked up an abandoned pole and circled cautiously into the grasses. Good opener. Chapter 2. The revolver lay in his friend's right hand, its barrel close by the hole in the right temple. The opposite side of his head was scattered across the forest floor. Blood spattered the nearby leaves. It had vanished. The muted thumping and the distant cries swelled in Scott Miller's head, dragging him from sleep to consciousness. His eyelids snapped open. He oh, sat we are up. doing backstory. No, book. <laughs> well, we've introduced a whole new character. We sure have. I mean, that, that is a thing that happens in books sometimes. They have I more know, than one person. I know, but I was person. excited about the snake. Yeah, me too. We'll get there. The muted thumping and the distant cries swelled in Scott Miller's head dragging him from sleep to consciousness. His eyelids snapped open. He sat up. His heart battered against his ribs at a sprinter's pace. The sheets were saturated with perspiration. The cries had ceased, but the thumping continued from the other side of the bedroom door. That's, that's what it's like when I wake up. <laughs> Scott, are you all right? A female voice called from the hallway. It took Miller's sleep-fogged mind a moment to recognize the familiar timbre. Yes, Ioka, he replied, staring in the direction of the shadowy door. Yes, I'm fine. Go back to sleep. I heard you crying out. May I come in? There's no need. I was just having a bad dream. The same one? Her softly spoken words hung in the air. When Miller did not answer, she persisted. About the Taipan, Scott? No, not the Taipan. Miller lied, as a bead of sweat trickled from his brow. You go back to sleep. It was nothing. For some seconds, he heard no sound from the other side of the door. Then he caught the sound of her slippers scuffing along the wood floor. Miller nervously ran his tongue along his upper teeth, thinking of the dream. He sighed deeply, then willed the dream back into the black recesses of his mind from which it had crawled. The clock on the bedside table read 543. He pulled on his bathrobe and crossed the hall into his study. As he shuffled through the stacks of papers on his desk, he sensed a presence in the room. He looked up. Ioka stood in the doorway, her slender figure haloed by the hall's bright lighting. She was a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I put the coffee on, she said. You know me too well, Miller noted. No more sleep today. The young woman made a clucking mother hen sound, then shook her head disapprovingly. Miller laughed gently. You're going to lecture me about working too hard, right? No, she said, unfolding her arms. I decided last night that if I could not change you in six years, I should give up trying. I don't believe that for a minute, Miller replied, flipping open his appointment calendar. Ioka sighed with an edge of exasperation. I can't help saying it. You go to sleep at two in the morning, and when you finally get to sleep, you have bad dreams that wake you. And you have the dreams because you are working too hard. Her words spilled out in a swift verbal flood. Miller laughed again. He pushed his chair back from the desk and raised his hands as if to take an oath. I promise. Can working too hard make you sleep better? Depends. Not necessarily. Yeah, it yeah. depends on what you're working on, I guess. Yeah, if you're like stressed out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If your work involves you like digging a hole and you, like you do that all day, then definitely you'll go to sleep much better. But if you're work involves getting other people to dig a hole, then you probably won't. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Miller laughed again. He pushed his chair back from the desk and raised his hands as if to take an oath. I promise. Once the park is open and in full swing, 
I'll get to bed before midnight every night, but there are still four more days to go before we open. Ioka stepped into the study. You must let me do more of the work. What do you have in your appointment book today that I can take care of? First order of business is meeting with Mayor Gardner about lengthening the access ways into the park. Ioka perched on the corner of the desk. I know the changes you want to make, Scott. We discussed them yesterday at Dinter. Dinter? We discussed... <laughs> We discussed them yesterday at dinner. Let me talk to the mayor. I don't know, Ioka. I've got a feeling he's hoping to weasel a bribe in exchange for speeding things up at City Hall. And that is why I should talk to him instead of you, Ioka persisted. Miller looked up at the exquisite Eurasian face. The mayor would have to be carved from granite not to succumb to Ioka's persuasive charm. All right. Is she going to, like, bamboozle the mayor into doing something he doesn't want to do just because she's good looking? Which would be awesome. I mean, that seems to be the case. Yes, mm. she is. Uh, she is going to go and be pretty at him because yep. okay. that's that's all that's yeah. needed. Just that's, go be yeah. pretty at someone. I mean, if he's if he's the kind of mayor that takes a bribe, he may be weak willed. I mean, that's that's a valid point, actually. Like, if he is the sort of person who would be looking for a bribe, then just right. a few smiling and you know the right turn of phrase could probably get him to do a whole bunch of stuff. So, sure. The mayor would have to be carved from granite not to succumb to Ioka's persuasive charm. All right. See what you can get him to promise. Gardner's scheduled for nine. If you take care of him, that gives me an extra hour to prepare for the reporters. How many in this group? About two dozen. Some of the most influential pencil wielders from here to Richmond. They can't help put the great Scott Serpentarium on the map before we sell the first ticket. I've... I've never heard the art of the written word put so venomously. <laughs> oh, that's probably a typo. What? That makes more sense. Okay. So the line is, she asks how many reporters, and he says, about two dozen. Some of the most influential pencil wielders from here to Richmond. They can't help put the Great Scott Serpentarium on the map before we sell the first ticket. That is, if I can persuade them to write about us favorably. And I'm assuming it's supposed to be, they can help. Uh, as mm. in, so that, that's, yeah. That would make more sense, yeah. Some of the most influential pencil wielders from here to Richmond. They can help put the great Scott Serpentarium on the map before we sell the first ticket. That is, if I can persuade them to write about us favorably. Yeah, that makes more sense. Also, yeah. is this just Jurassic Park, but a snake? I was thinking about that. I, I hope it is, kind of. Yeah, and I think this Scott guy is the American. Yeah, that makes sense. You can, Ioka said confidently. What else will you let me do for you? How about getting me that cup of coffee, said Miller. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's move from the western diamondback rattlers in their Arizona habitat to the eastern diamondbacks. Miller stepped from the snake pit and led the way along a seamless curve of the protective wall. The walkway was dappled with puddles from an early morning shower. At his side walked a handsome, long-legged woman with keen emerald eyes and cascading blonde hair. Directly behind them trailed four of the park's tour guides, reviewing the facts they had memorized for their new jobs. The reporters brought up the rear, some in raincoats, others carrying umbrellas. They stretched out behind the guides like pulled taffy. It's a weird metaphor, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, has anyone else noticed that we've learned what both of the female characters in this book look like, but not even a mention of any of the male characters. You are not that, wrong. 
Ulu was muscled. It's true. We don't even know if they're large men yet. Right. I'm assuming that Scott's going to be a large man. Sure. Miller looked at the sky. The clouds were breaking up, and the sun shone through intermittently. We're running late, Lilia Sue, Miller said to his blonde aide. So if they have more questions, you'll have to field them. Fine, Scott, Lilia Sue replied. She leaned toward her boss, lowered her voice, and said, I've already gotten a dinner invitation from the celebrated Earl Jackson to discuss the fine points of the park. I think the only fine points he's interested in are the ones on my chest. What is she talking about? That's gross. <laughs> don't, don't worry, not David. She's, um, she's, we'll she's got uh, lapel pens. Mm. Lapel ah. pens, really shiny ah. lapel pens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like uh, flag pens, or um, I think they're probably more like chevrons. Okay. Okay. No, but but in all seriousness, the the way that that was phrased, it made it sound as if that guy is interested in the nipples and only the nipples, it's, like yeah. hyper fixated specifically. On the nipples. Yeah. Well, without them, breasts would have no point. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. I need to go. Uh, I need to go test and make sure that my toaster works in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: It does. It actually doesn't. They they put fail safes in toasters in the eighties so that you can't discharge. Oh, you're the gonna have water. to use a hairdryer. Yeah, you know the sort of thing that would be found in a bathroom, unlike true. a toaster. To point. What, you guys don't make toast when you brush your teeth? I actually brush my teeth with toast. (laughs) I do like a nice bath toast. (laughs) Actually, would that be a good invention? Like a thing that prepares and holds food for when you take a bath? No, who eats in the bath? What? You've obviously never seen Gumma. I have, and and thank you for putting that image back in my head. (laughs) Oh God! What's what? What's Gummo? We'll, we'll watch it at okay. some point. It, it, it's 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 not worth describing. You have no. to experience it. <laughs> you do have uh, to experience yeah. it. Yeah, it's it maybe not capable of being described. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like you can describe individual moments, but that's not. I'm guessing the same a racer wash vibes. over you. Not no, Mm-mm. no. We'll we'll watch it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll record your reactions. <laughs> Miller nodded, the hint of a smile tugging at the corners of his mouth. You can decline that invitation if you want, Lilia Sue. That's service above and beyond the call of duty, even for a public relations agent. I can handle him, Scott, Lilia Sue said. If he gets too grabby, I'll file for combat pay. Oh my god. She laughed and dropped that, back to talk to the reporters. Not okay. <sighs> it's not... Yeah, it's it's not not okay at all, but what's especially not okay is that her name is fucking lilia sue yeah i was gonna comment on that and then i, just, I didn't i really don't like that i mean am I, am I missing something it's just a terrible name yeah it's not it's a name that no human would ever have that's un, not well, necessarily true people get named dumb shit all the time by their parents sure like chlamydia i had a customer one time whose name was truly boring <laughs> That's an awesome name. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, maybe when that person was an adult, but can you imagine yeah. how shitty that would have been uh-huh. as a kid? Oh, yeah. Did I ever tell you guys my my naming scheme for for 
children and offspring. No. So wait, are you about to have children? No, it's just I thought if what I was going to name a, a kid, your, why did this? Why does this even pop up then? <laughs> because I. I mean, because... you're sitting in the bath, you're having a piece of toast, and sometimes <laughs> your mind wanders. <laughs> I get it. So do, do we actually yeah. want to go over the, the naming scheme, or is that just, no one cares? Let's let's stick with the book for now. Okay. We'll come back to it. <laughs> I, we're probably not coming back to that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll, I'll live. <laughs> She laughed and dropped back to talk to the reporters. When the group had regathered along the concrete wall, Miller announced, This is the last pit in our tour, ladies and gentlemen. As a point of information, regular tourists will be seeing the park exactly the reverse of the way you saw it. North America first, then South and Central America, Australia, Asia, and Africa, and finally the Rotarium. But, like, why, though? But, uh, I don't know. Oh, we started in the Rotarium to avoid that little shower, oh, and it was okay. simpler to wind our way backward than to come again to the front of the park. We've put the North American area first, because these are the snakes our tourists are most likely to encounter. See, this is not truly a, a like a proper snake park if they don't have an exhibit that lets you dress up in a snake suit so that you can truly experience life from the snake's point of view. What sort of parks do you go to? What sort of parks do you go to? You, you haven't been to a park ever, have you? No. <laughs> I thought I was sheltered. <laughs> that, that's not a park. That's a furry convention. Or I guess a, a scaly convention. Well, I'm glad that we, we ended up here. <laughs> we always end up at the scaly convention. <laughs> It's a natural order of things. It's God's plan. I'm going to save up money, and I'm going to rent out a hotel. Where are you going to get money? What? Moon dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I just, I've been selling uh, clones of myself on Etsy. Wait, you've been using the cloning technology without telling us? Well, you guys don't stay on the moon with me. You guys leave, and you just come back every Friday, and I get bored. Touché. I've watched Debbie yeah. Does Dallas again so many times that I just I, I just don't think I can learn anything else from that. Whatever happened to that actress? Didn't she like go on to something? Uh, a lot happened to that actress. Oh, like <laughs> oh is, is there a story there? Or... <laughs> no, I well, oh, no. you're referencing the film. <laughs> okay, I, I thought there might actually have been some history. <laughs> uh, I get jokes. I don't. Let's move on. No. <laughs> One of the reporters took a cigarette from his mouth and said, I'm almost 50, Mr. Miller, and I've done a good deal of hiking, fishing, and camping, yet I've never seen a live snake in the woods. Aren't they becoming pretty rare in the U.S.? Far from it, Miller replied. Last year, over 4,000 people were bitten by snakes, and more than 30 died. Three quarters were rattlesnake victims. We had a reporter visiting from New York a few days ago who told us that last month a hiker was struck by a rattler in Harriman State Park, less than 45 miles from Manhattan Island. Miller paused for a moment while pencils and pens scribbled in notebooks. As the reporter's heads came up, he nodded in the direction of the pit. In fact, this diorama reminded the gentleman of that incident. The scene below was a reproduction of a deep, furrowed country road, flanked by small oak trees and evergreens. 
On one side of the road stood a wooden signpost that read Pittsburgh, 10 miles. On the other side, the chassis of an ancient Packard lay rusting in magnificent decay. That's kind of a nice sentence. Yeah, yeah. In the shade of the half-open trunk, a rattler lay coiled, absolutely motionless but for the flicking of its tongue. The tail of another protruded from the car's left front wheel well. Miller said, rattlers can and do live very close to populated areas. Many Americans also share the mistaken notion that rattlesnakes only live in the deserts of the southwest. They're actually found in every continental state except Maine and Delaware. The eastern diamondbacked rattlesnake is the largest and most deadly of snakes within the United States. The longest recorded specimen measured 8 feet 9 inches, but the average length is about 6 feet. How come the hiker didn't just run when he heard the rattles? Another reporter asked, still interested in the Harriman State Park incident. He may have had no warning, Miller answered smoothly. Rattlesnakes don't always give a warning before striking. However, if they do, it's unmistakable. He withdrew a rattle from his pocket and shook it. The rattler is the only snake in the world equipped with such a device, although some other snakes, when approached, do whip their tails through the leaves and grass surrounding them. And this can sound very much like a rattle. Also, may interest your readers to know that rattles are added with each shedding of skin. But, since rattlers don't shed their skin at uniform intervals throughout their lives, the rattles do not accurately indicate the snake's age. Now, ladies and gentlemen... That concludes the formal tour. I believe most of the facts I covered on the Serpentarium are contained in the information packets you were given at the start of the tour. Any more questions? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a snack bar? <laughs> What's a snake? <laughs> the bathroom's over there by the piss clown. <laughs> the bathroom piss is the piss clown. <laughs> oh god. I need a uh, tune that plays whenever I appear on screen. I need an adult. Does anyone else feel like this book is just a platform for the writer to show off all of his snake knowledge? Uh so far it's been, you know, a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean I appreciate a well-researched book, especially again by the standard of the shit that we read on the show. <laughs> right? But but it just like it just seems like that guy that has, like, I know a lot about one thing, and I want to tell you all about it. I, I, I liked it early on when it, he was using it to set the mood and describe the snake and its actions. So if it's, like, pushing the book forward, then I think it's pretty awesome. But just on its own. I, I, I know this is a book about snakes, but I don't think this is what we're here for. Hmm. I do feel like the book, and, and, and I get it, I know that books have to have stories, but I do feel like the book lost a lot of momentum now that we're doing this. Well, yeah, it was just a whole lot, and I, I guess it's kind of an, it's in character for this mm -hmm. guy, like he's trying to open a snake park, sure. so he probably does have all of that information just at hand and sort of oh, yeah. available to drop into, and he's talking to reporters, so he's trying to like impress them or whatever mm. but it did kind of feel to me like all of a sudden we were just reading a snake documentary yeah or like somebody's class report right yeah here's the thing if you're gonna have an opening that is that intriguing then if you're gonna have mundane things after it they it better be interesting mundanity mm-hmm yeah, because I feel like if I were reading this book just as a book, I would kind of start skipping ahead 
once <laughs> I got to this point. Yeah, and that's never good. No. Was that a hint? Are you telling David to skip ahead? <laughs> uh, no, I was just, just commenting. <laughs> like, why don't you page through that a little bit and see if we can't get to something a little bit more interesting. Hmm. I believe most of the facts I covered on the Serpentarium are contained in the information no. packets you were given at the start of the tour. Any more questions? Yes, a young, bespectacled woman said quickly. I read an article about your immunity to snake bite. Does it have anything to do with your size or your excellent physical condition? Oh, he's <laughs> no! a big man! He's a big man! Miller's a big man! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, wait. He, he may be overweight. I mean, no, he may be a she, very, very small man. No, she just said that he was, well, he might be very small, but he's definitely, like, works out. She yeah. just said that. Yeah, I think she's just referring to overall body mass, so it could be muscles or uh, fat content. That's not, still, but that's he's in that's excellent still, he's physical condition. He's in excellent physical oh, yeah, condition. She said, she said yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's a big man. <laughs> and he's immune to its poison, so he's just gonna have to deal with its uh, with its teeth. He's just immune to all snake venom. Yeah, just all of them. <laughs> it's very fortunate that I like snakes. Maybe he'll explain it to us. <sighs> yeah. With the tour completed, inevitably the questioning shifted to the owner of the park. Scott Miller seemed almost as fascinating to the reporters as his new venture. The man stood six foot three inches tall. Even though he dressed in loosely fitting trousers and a long sleeved shirt. One could tell that he possessed a phenomenally developed physique. Mm. The well-defined muscles of his neck were so huge that his head seemed to grow out of his shoulders. Oh, God. God he was 45, but his energy led most people to believe him a much younger man. Joe, you have a, you have a problem. <laughs> like you can't you can't pick the books anymore not david is gonna start picking the books that's not a thing that you ever want to do that's probably not true and yeah, i don't want yeah. my amazon fucking books to I, yeah the the things i see in yeah. my amazon recommendations are are things that no one should ever ever be i've seen things at. you people wouldn't understand <laughs> Uh, yeah. I am kind of glad that he's 45, though. I, I was all set for him to be, you know, in his 30s. Big man in his 30s, mm. a white American conquering everything. Like, just. I mean, he's still most of those things. Yeah, and he's yeah, probably. He's just 15 years older than 30. <laughs> yeah. I'm also certain that he's probably just ridiculously wealthy. You, you know what? Great in all bed. Has a huge yeah. dong. You know what all of this reminds me of how come so many people when they go to like psychics or whatever and they're like oh you you, you were you were a uh, reincarnation of cleopatra but wouldn't it make more sense if someone was like yeah you were a, you were a shit farmer oh yeah Sorry. no one's ever been a shit farmer mm -hmm. like that's those people don't get reincarnated they're just <laughs> background characters <True>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why I also think, like with like spirit animals, why doesn't anyone? Why isn't anyone's spirit animal the like earthworm? Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Goldfish. Yeah. It's always like the wolf or the, or, or or the manatee, a, a pantry moth, <laughs> mole rats. Mm. That's actually a really cool spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, mole right? rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was forty-five, but his energy led most people to believe him a much younger man. 
His beguiling smile and conspicuous intelligence more than compensated for his lack of good looks. Oh, wow. Oh. But Miller's most startling features were his eyes. The irises were coal black, so dark one could see one's own reflection in them. Is but he the part per- snake? <laughs> Is he <right>? Patrick Bateman? <laughs> <laughs> But of the personality behind the eyes, one could read nothing. He is Patrick Bateman. Peering into them was like staring into a pair of black voids. Yeah, yeah, that's creepy. And I mean, I'd have to do some research, but I don't know if you'd be able to see if your iris was solid black. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, As far as I know, your iris has nothing to do with your, your vision, aside from when it you know, opens and constricts, adjusting the light levels. Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, admittedly, I don't understand enough about the biology of the eye to really know for sure. But the pupil opening and closing, dilating, is allowing more light to come in or, Mm -hmm. you know, focusing in different ways. So if your iris was also black... There's an eye disorder known as aniridia which makes the eye appear to have no iris. In Ooh. truth, there's a small ring of iris tissue, but it is so small and the pupil is so large that it can look like the eyes are completely black. It yeah. is due to a chromosome mutation. Do the people who suffer from it have any sight problems? It doesn't say that. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Miller answered the woman's question. Physical condition and body weight do affect an individual's reactions to venom. However... I've built up my own immunity artificially with a series of desensitizing shots. I've spent the last five years building up an immunity to iocane powder. Nice. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I'm so glad that you, you referenced it because I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> he rolled up his right sleeve, exposing his thick forearm. It was laced with white scars, some mere dots, other gashes as long as an inch. Farther up his arm, just below the elbow, were two fresh puncture wounds. Slightly swollen and surrounded by red-purple discoloration. He pulls there his were... shirt up. He's just up. He's just conjoined snakes. Like, they're all riding <laughs> together. I am Snake Man. <laughs> the auntie. Um, <laughs> the reporters murmured with respect. However, my immunity is only to the most prevalent group of poisonous snakes in our hemisphere. The Crotalidae. This includes rattlers, copperheads, moccasins, and the South American Bushmaster, which is what bit me yesterday. This time, the reporters reacted with pronounced interest. Didn't you tell us the Bushmaster is the most deadly of all American snakes? I did. Miller flashed his beguiling smile. Of course, the idea is to avoid getting bitten. Not only is it a painful experience, with or without immunization, but one can develop infections from the bite itself. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to keep the Bushmaster alive in captivity. We have some of the only specimens in the United States. Recently, we discovered that Bushmasters thrive in high altitudes with lower atmospheric pressure and cooler, damp weather. Because specimens had been captured in lowland, equatorial regions, it was assumed for a long time that this was their preferred habitat. So to get our Bushmasters to feed, we must take them from their pit and put them in a special pressurized chamber every few days. Naturally, they strongly resent being disturbed, and few of my snake handlers want to volunteer to go into the pit, so... Did I hear you say you aren't immune to all snake bites? A voice interrupted. 
That's correct, Miller replied. There are hundreds of venoms, each with a unique combination of protein-poisoning agents. Some attack the nervous system, others the circulatory system. If if we just trimmed out all of the facts except for <laughs> talking about, you know, like, oh, well, you know, one venom is not the same as another venom, and that might have been interesting, but... Yeah. Yeah, this is a lot of someone's junior high <laughs> school report about snakes. <laughs> that weird kid who like it likes snakes a bit too much. Yeah. I also read that you donate your blood to help snake bite victims recover, said a young woman. Removing her glasses, Miller failed to respond. His attention had been diverted to a solitary figure who had separated himself from the group and was striding toward another pit. He wore mirrored sunglasses and carried a Nikon camera. The neck strap wound around his wrist. You are the one who donates his blood, aren't you, Mr. Miller? The woman asked. Hearing his name, Miller turned back to the reporters. Yes, that's right. He beckoned to a tour guide and said, and said in a low voice, Get that man back with the group, Marcy. I don't want overcurious people wandering alone through the park. No, let them. It'll be hilarious. They'll find my secret lair. <laughs> They'll start eating my snake. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to say that. Get that guy out of here before he starts eating my snakes. <laughs> what is this, Metal Gear? <laughs> are we going Justin? to do the the whole book, or are we? Hell no. Okay. No. There's, there's no way. We haven't even made it through two chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, like, the next chapter is just Miller suddenly fighting the snake for no reason. Which would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. The guide nodded and walked after the man. Mr. Miller, just how does a millionaire playboy from Long Island wind oh up running God. a snake exhibit? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a hint. He has to like snakes and have some money. Yeah. Mr. Miller, just how does a millionaire playboy from Long Island wind up running a snake exhibit in the Deep South? It's always funny. Every time you say it, it's still funny. <laughs> the blunt question came from a bearded gentleman with a pronounced English accent. Oh, I guess I should reread that. Do the voice. <laughs> Mr. Miller, just how does a millionaire playboy from Long Island wind up running a snake exhibit in the Deep South? <laughs> Governor. Thank you, Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pronounced English accent. Yeah. Well, Mr. Davies, for amusement, it certainly beats the backgammon tournament at the Northampton Country Club. Miller kept one eye on the exchange between the guide and the errant reporter. I'm just picturing his eyes in different directions now. <laughs> <laughs> Miller's glib answer pleased many in the group, for it was common knowledge that Kenneth Davies was an incorrigible needier. Needier? Probably what? needler was meant to be the word. It seems like these uh these ebooks, it's real easy for typos to slip in. I suspect also that this book just may have had I mean it was a again, you know, sort of a pulp horror thing from the early eighties. Mm -hmm. You know, mass-produced trade paperback for the grocery store shelves, mm -hmm. magazine racks. So you're going to get some typos. Sure. And the actual reason, the Englishman persisted. Miller continued smiling, but he was no longer in the mood for questions. Two pages in your packet are devoted to my biography and the reasons that led me to build the Great Scott Serpentarium. If I may make a suggestion, you probably have all your questions answered right there. 
But if you find some things still unanswered, please feel free to call me or Miss Davis. Miller shifted his attention once again to the distant pit. The man had busied himself with snapping pictures. Tour guide was returning with a look of bewildered defeat written plainly across her face. Just one more question, the Englishman said. The pit that man is photographing is empty. When we walked by it before, you made no explanatory comments. I assume it will be filled by opening day, since it is situated directly in front of the main gate. What will it hold? Nothing, Mr. Davies, Miller replied. Absolutely nothing. For the moment, it's there to arouse curiosity, as it obviously has in yourself. Eventually, it will be occupied. But for now, that occupant is a secret. Why? Another asked. Well, I see no point in shooting off all the big guns in one salvo. When enough of the public has seen the park and our attendance begins to level, the contents of that pit will bring people back for a second look. What are we establishing with all of this? Like that—that's the pit that the <laughs> big snake. That's where the Yeah, that, go. that's where the big fuck off Taipan monster snake is supposed to go, and then it will get loose in the park. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this whole thing, like, okay, okay, just that we understand that Miller is like he—he he owns the park. He's—he's he's a big man. He's a great big man. Great <laughs> big, like, and he likes snakes. Like, okay, we get it. Move on. On the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, it's not a very good book if it's just, this guy owns a park where he wants to put snakes. This mm. guy brought a snake. Begin. Right. Like, fight. <laughs> I just, I feel like there's, it just feels like it's meandering. Yeah, a little bit. Um, a little I bit. do feel like it could have been compressed. It, it it lacks it wants for editing. That's really what it comes down to. Again, yeah. Uh, let's see if anything exciting happens in the next chapter or two. Now, I thank you all for coming, and I hope you'll be kind to our new venture when you write about us. We've prepared a lunch for you in the cafeteria. Miss Davis will be there to answer any other questions. As the tour guide shepherded the group in the direction of the cafeteria, Miller turned toward the empty pit. In doing so, he nearly bowled over one of the reporters, a happy-faced character who had blazoned his lapels with I love snakes buttons. <laughs> wonderful presentation, Scott. Just wonderful, <laughs> the man said enthusiastically, thumping Miller Thanks, on the Scott, back. Thanks, Scott, Marty. <laughs> Miller forced a smile. Thanks, Ward. I appreciate that. I could tell the boys were impressed, Bill Cooper and Carmine de Donato especially. And that girl reporter, Linda What's-Her-Name, the one with the wire rim glasses, obviously has the pots for you. She'll give you a great write-up. This book has a great attitude toward women. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I it's really, really good. Just, just want this character, this new character, mm -hmm. to like be so obsessed with snakes. Like, like and, and I got a new car. It reminds me of a snake. I love it. Although no one was standing nearby, Miller lowered his voice. Listen, Ward, you know just about every reporter here today. Who's the fella taking the pictures over there? Ward shrugged. Never saw him before. Gotta go, Scott. Good luck. Fun <laughs> fucking yourself. He hurried off, still beaming. Marcy, the guide, had been waiting to report her exchange. As Miller headed for the empty pit, she trotted along, one step behind, like an eager puppy. He said he wouldn't cause any trouble. He just wanted to take a few more pictures. What's his name? I didn't ask. Okay, Marcy. Get some lunch. 
The girl took a few more steps, realized she had been dismissed, and slowed to a halt. Miller continued across the pathway to the empty pit. The man noticed his approach. He lowered his camera and dropped the sunglasses off the crown of his head onto his nose. Nice park, Mr. Miller. Beautifully designed. Be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Carruthers. Charlottesville Herald. You've come a long way for our presentation. It was worth it. Miller instinctively disliked the stranger. He believed that people who wore silvered glasses usually were hiding behind them. Couldn't you also just as easily say that people who like snakes are naturally deceptive? I mean, I think it's kind of bizarre that they made a big deal over the fact that he had, you know, solid black eyes that were impossible to read, but he doesn't like people who wear silvered glasses because they're hard to read. <laughs> well, the water out of the tap is very hard to drink. Very hard to drink. Fucking what? <laughs> like, you can take those They're off. They're out in the sun, even. Right? I think he just doesn't like looking at himself. Mm. <laughs> Very insightful. I'm glad you liked it. However, the tour is over and lunch is being served, Mr. Carruthers. So I see. I wanted to get a few pictures of this pit. I notice it's much deeper than the others and also much better protected from the public. That is why you have those plexiglass shields up, I assume. To protect the snakes from the kids and not vice versa. Exactly. Now, if... What's going into it? Carruthers asked, pushing his sunglasses further up the bridge of his nose. If you'd stayed with the group, you'd have heard. Heard what? Carruthers asked, not oh, in the least chastised. <laughs> this is good dialogue. It's a secret. Judging from the size of this pit... It must be a big one, Carruthers remarked in an offhanded More manner like as he fitted the cap over rip. his lens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be listening for news of your secret. He held out his hand. Miller shook it without feeling. So long, Carruthers said. He turned smartly on one heel and strolled away, whistling a tune Miller had never heard. Okay. Chapter 3 the telephone jangled three times before Scott Miller entered the study and reached for it, a tumbler of bourbon in the other hand. Hello, he said, setting down the drink and switching on the desk light. This is Western Union, said a female voice, accenting each first syllable. I have a cable for Mr. Scott Miller. This is he. Will you accept the message over the telephone, sir? Yes, I will. Just one moment. He reached for a pad and pencil, then sank into the thickly padded chair behind the desk. The white paper's brilliant reflection made him squint. Okay, go ahead, operator. The message is just a, a snake telling him that he learned how to <laughs> operate the phone. <laughs> the message reads, Taipan, nearly six meters, arriving, Snowbird, May 19, Long Beach, confirmed, Tasaki. Would you like me to repeat the message? No, thank you. I have it, operator. Would you like to wire the confirmation now, sir? Yes, Miller replied. Just hold on a second, please. Glad this is in the book. Miller yeah. set the receiver on the desk and stared at the words he had scribbled on the paper. His mind reeled giddily. Nearly six meters, 19 feet. The Naraka Pintu Taipan was all but within his grasp. He marveled that the culmination of six years planning and preparations could be successfully distilled to a dozen words on a sheet of paper. His heartbeat quickened. 
powered by the adrenaline of exaltation. His only obstacle lay in smuggling the Taipan into the country. Damn that Ensign Hilton! Just when Miller needed him, the man had to pull a one-year assignment in Alaska. Out of spite or frustration, a lesser man than Miller might have exposed Hilton's lucrative black market dealings to the naval authorities. But that would be snitching. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta watch out for those Alaskan snakes. <laughs> but that was not Miller's operating style. Moreover, Hilton might still be of use to him. Who knew what Miller might someday need by way of Alaska? Marcus Wrightson now had to be his man instead, and San Diego the place. Miller lifted the instrument. Yes, operator, I would like you to use the information on that cable to return a message immediately. The message is to read, Negative, Long Beach. Can Snowbird divert May 19 to Bering off coast of San Diego? Reply immediately, and sign it Miller. He repeated the message, but the operator had gotten it the first time. Miller returned the receiver gently to its cradle. Yeah, this entire opening of this chapter mm -hmm. could have been like a few sentences. It could have. Marcus Wrightson, Miller thought, an inconsequential neurologist working in San Diego. A scientist who wrote to him last month, desperate for a donation of snake venom so he could continue his research. Desperate was the key word. That was the kind of man who would serve him without question. However, even if Wrightson possessed an especially high moral character, as Miller suspected a research scientist might, he was certain he had the wherewithal to buy off Wrightson's conscience one way or the other. Now that the typing was on the way, no problem seemed insurmountable. Suddenly, I don't like Miller. <laughs> yeah, he might be a bit of a, of a villain. Yeah. Miller came out of his chair like an uncoiled spring. He unlocked a gray metal map cabinet nearby and flipped through piles of U.S. topographical survey maps. He located the quadrant adjoining San Diego on the Pacific side, laid down a ruler, and plotted a distance from the shoreline to a stretch of seabed labeled La Jolla Canyon. This is fascinating. Satisfied, <laughs> yeah. yep. he sat back again and rocked in his chair, staring at the silent telephone, willing it to ring. After an interminable minute, his overcharged nervous system pulled him upright into the windows. The moon had risen high into the night, casting its borrowed light down on the gently lapping waters of the swimming pool. Miller gazed at the swirling, transitory silver glimmers for a few moments, then turned back into the room to pace. The telephone rang as Miller drained the last of the bourbon from his glass, snatched up the receiver before the sh first shrill sound had died. Scott Miller. Mr. Miller, the now familiar voice said. This is Western Union. I have a reply to your cable. It reads, Can divert. Name coordinates. Tasaki. Would you like to wire an immediate reply? Yes. The reply is longitude 117 degrees 30 minutes 15 seconds west by latitude 32 degrees 56 minutes 12 seconds north. Payment will be released tomorrow. Your name. Sign it Miller. After he hung up, Miller stood motionless by his chair. Then he rushed to the cabinet and withdrew another map. You know, to make sure those coordinates actually went somewhere. <laughs> The map's accordion pleats widened as he pulled it through the air until, with a deft flick of his wrist, it fluttered completely open across the desk. <sighs> Too many words for unfolding a map. He ran the nail of his forefinger along the multicolored folds to flatten them. If the Taipan were to arrive in San Diego instead of Long Beach, a new airport must be found. Preferably something in the suburbs of the city. 
small enough to assure privacy but large enough to accommodate a four-engine cargo plane. Miller rubbed the back of his hand absent-mindedly across his chin, staring at the details of the map. He found an airport in an excellent location not too far out. The Mission Bay Marina was also coincidentally well-situated. Marcus Wrightson would almost certainly have facilities for storing a snake in his laboratory. As far as Miller was concerned, everything was working out perfectly. <sighs> I, I like when, in two sentences, a writer sets up and immediately dismisses a conflict. <laughs> yep. He would have to find an airport that, was, that, that met these qualifications. And then he found one, and it was fine. <laughs> no, this was just in case you would like to know how to smuggle in black market snakes. Okay. If you ever find yourself on the west coast of the United States We've in the 1980s. There. And a millionaire. And a millionaire, Which, yeah. for those of you not familiar, in the 1980s was kind of like being a billionaire now. Yeah. Like, it meant something then. Warren Crowley took one last puff of his cigarette, then dropped it on the floor in the general direction of the ashtray. That's how you start a fire. <laughs> he rolled a... Whoa, what? What happened? Oh, God. Where what did, did I you go? do, Ray? Uh, uh, where oh, am please, I? Please tell me the, the book just disappeared. It didn't disappear from time and space. Uh... <laughs> no, I just lost my part in it. Uh, you're on page 21. It's a sign. Oh, that's why this isn't work. God damn. I was pushing the wrong button and I kept moving forward. Right. Oh, no. Ah, okay. Ba, 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 ba. Warren Crowley took one last puff on his cigarette, then dropped it on the floor in the general direction of the ashtray. He rolled across the mattress and reached for a huge stack of magazines piled precariously at the edge of the night table. They were playboys. He then began to masturbate furiously. He lunged for the top magazine, but only succeeded in toppling the entire pile onto the floor. Is he drunk? <laughs> I swear, asshole. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Crowley swore as he tried to reach the scattered pile without having to reshift his weight. God damn, this guy's super lazy. Yeah, and clumsy. Just as he was about to string together a line of choice expletives, Crowley heard a met Crowley heard a metallic noise across the room. His tape recorder had automatically engaged itself. For a moment, he stared at the plastic reels circling its face at different speeds, catching and reflecting the sparse light in the motel room. Then he rolled off the bed and sauntered over to the dresser where the recorder nestled in the midst of monumental debris. Crowley pushed aside a half-eaten sandwich and a pair of mirror-lens sunglasses and picked up his earphone. Oh. As he fitted them to his ears, he heard Scott Miller's unmistakable bass baritone voice say, Okay, go ahead, operator. Crowley pulled his last cigarette from its pack. He searched the cluttered dresser top for a match while he listened to a female voice respond. The message reads, Taipan, nearly six meters, arriving, Snowbird, May 19, Long Beach, confirmed, Tasaki. Crowley put the cigarette down and forgot about the match. He listened to the rest of the conversation with rapt attention, propped against the dresser like a department store mannequin. Even when Miller paused to collect his thoughts, Crowley remained motionless, scarcely breathing. When the recorder clicked off, Crowley came to life like a boxer responding to the first round bell, dashing across the room to the telephone. Too many words. A minute later, another phone rang in Atlanta, Georgia. Crowley shifted his weight listening impatiently to the uniformly spaced buzzes. Wow. Come on, Thanner, goddammit, he muttered. 
Finally, the phone was lifted on the other end. Yes, said a voice. It's me, Crowley. You were right, Mr. Thanner. The pit is for a typen. It's about six meters long. I just intercepted a cable to Miller from someone called Tasaki. Is the snake in the country? No. Must have been an overseas message. It's supposed to arrive at Long Beach on May 19th, on something called the Snowbird. A boat, I guess. But Miller wants the Snowbird diverted to a location off the coast of San Diego, same date. Nice work, Crowley, Thanner said. Stay there and keep monitoring Miller's private line. I'll check out the Snowbird tomorrow. Miller's waiting right now for a reply to see if Snowbird can be diverted. If Scott Miller wants something diverted, it will be diverted, Thanner stated matter-of-factly. Do you want to hang on and wait for Miller's reply? No. Call me tomorrow morning with a report on the whole night's calls. Same as usual. Right. And do you still want blow-ups of those shots I took at Miller's Park? Certainly. If it proves impossible to steal the Taipan in San Diego, you may have to steal it from under Miller's nose. Makes no difference to me, Mr. Thanner. For what I'm paying you, it shouldn't. Look, Crowley, gears are starting to mesh now. So stay by your wiretap and don't take any more short vacations, huh? I won't, Mr. Thanner. Good night. Crowley hung up and retrieved a cigarette. He found a new matchbook, lit the cigarette, and drew in a lungful of smoke. Don't take any short vacations. Hey, fuck you, Thanner, Crowley thought. He'd been cooped up in this stinking motel room for five weeks and once, just once, and all that time he had taken off for three days to do some drinking, gambling, and whoring in Miami Beach. We've all been there. Right? Yeah. Sometimes you get bored. Yep, yep. You just, you know. <laughs> like like when you're reading stupid snake facts in a book. <laughs> Thanner wouldn't let him forget it. It really got to Crowley when a client implied that he wasn't thoroughly professional about his work. If you call this work, he thought bitterly. Christ, you've fallen on hard times when you're reduced to snake napping. Uh, six meters. Let's see. A meter's about 40 inches. Six times 40. 240 inches. Holy Jesus! <laughs> I'm about to steal a 20-foot snake! The cigarette hung loosely from Crowley's slack lips. An involuntary shudder ran down his spine. The tape recorder clicked back on. This slovenly weirdo doesn't seem like the kind of... Like, he, he seems like a fairly competent whatever he is. Maybe he's a private detective or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's the guy to steal this snake. Yeah, no, I'm not so sure about that either. But, you know, you you what do you do? You you, you want a um, criminal, you, you take your criminals, you know? Yeah, I, I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 4. Lila Sue Davis. Now it's Lila Sue. Instead of Lilia. Uh, nope, nope, okay, that's a typo. It's Lilia again later. This time it's... So, right now, it's normally L-I-L-I-A. Sure. Now it's L-I-L-L-A. So, Lila Sue. You're, you're wrong, it's Lila-A. And the next time the name comes up, it's just L-I-L-A. So, yeah, mm. lots of typos here. Oh, well. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Lilia Sue Davis picked up her purse and moved through the airline information booth. Her taut, rounded hips describing erotic sine waves through the terminal waiting lounge. Fucking what? She could have just walked there, y'all. Like, that <laughs> was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. 
She's describing erotic sine waves. <sighs> I mean, As I, you do. I like the way that it's put. It's just like unnecessary. It's yeah. kind of a. I think it's kind of a dumb sentence. Yeah. Twenty minutes. So I, I think that I think this is a good place. I think erotic sine waves might be. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to beat erotic sine waves. No, and, and there's nope. like there's at least another like ten pages in this chapter. I'm sure. <laughs> and I, I think the book has made its point. Dude, the first chapter was fantastic. The first chapter was real good. I had a fun time and, with that. And then the book started. <laughs> I I really thought we were going to get some kind of juxtaposition between these aboriginal folk and this snake hunter dying. No, he caught the snake off camera. Yeah. No, yeah. no, like like these guys lose their lives to to the danger of this snake and then it winds up in a a display for thirteen thousand dollars yeah and then and then like you know all these people are like wow it looks real dangerous and they just don't get it Mm -hmm. yeah no i i I do think there's something a little it annoys me that the first chapter sets up that this is an incredibly dangerous snake and that the snake hunter has been retired for four years and you know, it, it goes out of its way to say that this is a different sort of snake. This is a monster. This thing is. Right. Yeah. You know, and then he just. This is the jaws of snakes. Right. And then he just off camera catches it and has yeah. it. Yeah. Like we might like, come back to that later, but, but why? Yeah. I mean, why even have that first chapter? Yeah. Why did Ulu have to die? Maybe because maybe an editor looked at it and was like, "It's it's real boring." Put some action at the start. That would be funny. Justice for Ulu. <laughs> That's actually funny though. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, this book sucks. Uh, write a better chapter for the beginning so that any of those looky loos at the bookstore when they're flipping through the first couple of pages, oh, they'll think this is going to be a yeah. great book. I could totally see that being the case. And then they read to the first three pages, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is awesome." You buy mm-hmm. the book and you get it home and you read the rest of it and you're like, man, fuck Miller. But no one All else right. came to that conclusion. No, I, I agree <clears throat> completely. I think that makes total sense. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm just kind of flipping ahead here, looking mm-hmm. at where it goes. Do we ever come back and... to that, that snake fight? Um, <laughs> they they don't appear to. I'm in book two now. What? They don't come back to that? I haven't seen any mention it's all been Miller and Ioka, and there's another character name that I Yawn. see pretty regularly. So um, that chapter was a honeypot. Yep. Yeah, I'm not even seeing anything about Tasaki. Yeah. At all. Yeah, he doesn't exist in the rest of the book. God fucking damn it. <laughs> Trickery and deceit. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right well, what, uh, what, any, any parting thoughts? Any opinions? I'm sure the the movie is just going to be amazing. Oh, I mean, working off of this material, how could it help but be? Yeah, yeah how could it not? Maybe it'll have great creature effects. It's going to have snake vision. It's going to have monster vision. It's going to have all the snake facts you ever want. Yeah. All I'm saying is is that snakes on a plane, The one of the best, aside from having Samuel Jackson in it, one of the best parts about that movie was fucking snake vision. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Um. So yeah, if you if you're interested in a pretty in depth discussion of the movie that this, that was based on this book, uh, go to our website. We give you brainworms dot com and find all of our things we do and all of our social media and talk to us because because other david gets bored and nobody loves us and we we need human contact because clearly this is what we do with our lives and it's very sad yeah guys this is us having like this is what we do for fun yeah yeah i'd also like to extend uh our deepest apologies we're yeah, very sorry so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> we're so sorry <laughs> This has been a production of Brainworms Presents. Any copyrighted content contained within is used for purposes of review. Brainworms Podcast is David Combs, Kane Magdalene, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. The theme music is Hodgepod No. 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, you can support us and learn about our other projects at wegiveyoubrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app.